Welcome, everybody, to a Tuesday night edition of Texans All Access. Man, it's taken a while to say those words. Got to work out the kinks. Had a chance to do it last night with Mark in studio. And I'm your host this evening. Mark, not able to join us tonight, but that's okay. In fact, we sort of like it when we lock the proverbial state, uh, radio studio door and let him out of it and have Drew, Doherty, and DP Sidhu in it. And it's the three of us. What's going on, guys? How are we doing? Doing great. How you been, man? Well, I get to see you guys on Zoom every so often. I don't get to see you in person, which kind of stinks. Uh, because DP and I always get caught up on all the shows we're watching. <laughs> all the all the different things that are going all the different things. DP and I always have like, I just I just you know, learned yesterday that Johnny has been watching Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, and I'm really mad that we have not been talking about this for the last few months. Yeah, and and the, I mean, ba- I, and the Bachelor. I mean, there's a lot yeah. to catch up with in the off season, Johnny. You're, exactly. you're not wrong. You're exactly, not wrong. and so we need to somehow return back to normalcy <laughs> so we can do that. And my one word response to you when you said something about Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, uh, my response is like, oh, duh, of course duh. I'm watching. <laughs> yes, I'm absolutely watching. There's no question about that. All right, we're gonna talk in just a minute about David Cully, but Drew, you had an opportunity to speak with Brian Mitchell about David Culley. And I know you, having spent time with Mitchell, if you remember Mitchell, if you're, I don't want to say my age demographic, maybe a little bit younger, but Brian Mitchell was one heck of a player in the NFL for a long time and played for David Culley. And Drew, I'm going to have that interview that you did uh, with Brian Mitchell later in the show. But let's start there. David Culley named the head coach, the only the fourth head coach in the history of the franchise and you both have spent a lot of time DB I know you talked with Jeff Zrebeck from the Atlantic uh from the Athletic who covered him uh with the Ravens we'll probably have that later in the week but Drew I'll start with you because you talked to Brian Mitchell what was the main thing you were able to sort of gauge out of your conversation with Brian about David Culley taking over as the head coach of the Houston Texans main thing yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah, he's a major influence in so many guys' lives, but he also knows a hell of a lot of football, is very innovative, has a great football mind, and that should not be discounted. Now, let's rewind a little bit. Brian Mitchell, like you kind of touched on, he was great in the 90s. So when he retired, and still to this day, the only guy with more all-purpose yardage in NFL history is Jerry Rice. And Mitchell got most of his yards on kickoff and punt returns. He was an all-pro one season. He was on that final Washington or the last Washington uh, team to win a Super Bowl in 1991 when they beat the Bills. You know, he played for Washington right out of college. Um, he, had, he was at Southwestern Louisiana, which is uh, now, you know, the University of Louisiana. Right. And that's where Cully was his coach. Recruited him there, was his quarterback's coach. Uh, Brian Mitchell did not return a single kick or punt in his time in college. He was a quarterback, threw for a combined 5,000 yards, ran for a combined 3,000 more. He, he uh, likes to say he was, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson before they were uh, who they became. But he did that, went into the NFL. He said he wouldn't have been there were it not for David Culley. Talked about how he made him a better passer, uh, you know, helped him understand defenses and offenses. But the big thing that he taught – Brian Mitchell was film study and self-film study. So he found all the ticks that were giving defenses clues when he was in college, and he corrected them. No tells from Brian Mitchell as a quarterback when he was in college. 
and so on and so on. And said when he got to the NFL, there were some old – he called – I think he called them old heads who, who saw him studying tape and they were like, oh, you know what you're doing. He's like, yeah, you know, this guy back in college, David Culley, sort of showed me how to do it. So Mitchell lasted in the NFL until about 2003, 2004. He spent some time with the Giants, played with the Eagles after the Redskins, and he was back reunited with David Culley. That was in the early part of the 2000s. Cully was uh, one of Andy Reid's assistants there. So he just – he got to play for him in college, got to play for him in the pros. He loves him. He says he's going to come back to a lot of Texans games to see him. But he made the point also that, you know, Andy Reid and his offense has been very, very successful over the years. Didn't go the way it wanted or they wanted it to on Sunday, but I think that was kind of an aberration. Yeah. And credit to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I don't think that happens if those two teams play ten times. I don't think that happens six, seven times again. But Andy Reid's offense has been very, very successful for decades now. And uh, Mitchell made the point, Andy Reid's going to be the first to tell you that that's taken the input of so many different folks that have coached under him and coached with him over the year. And David Culley is one of them. So a lot of the wrinkles you see, responsible uh, by David Culley and, and you know, contributed by David Culley. So he's very, very high on what Culley can do as – a leader, what he can do as an offensive mind, and the guys that he's going to bring in underneath him. Because he said Andy Reid gives those guys a lot of autonomy, gives those guys a lot of freedom, and, and he thinks you're going to see a lot of that from David Culley. And we've heard the reports about who's coming in, assistant coaches-wise. So it's going to be an interesting uh, bag of, of folks that will be here helping to lead the Texans. You know, it's interesting. Andy Reid's coaching tree continues to grow. I yep. mean, with David Culley now taking over, we know one day Eric Bieniemy will be head coach in the league um, at some point. He wasn't and will not be in 2021, at least not at this point. But he's going to be in the league. His tree is just growing by leaps and bounds. Now, David Culley last year, and I think a few years prior, and again, this is kind of the, the, the Andy Reid connection, because John Harbaugh used to be a special teams coach with the Eagles, where David Culley was. Cully was the wide receivers coach and pass game coordinator with the Baltimore Ravens. And, DP, that's where you caught up with Jeff Shrebeck of The Athletic, who we talk to and you talk to often when we play the Ravens. He is a fantastic writer. He's great on the radio. What was the sense you got from Jeff about what the Texans were getting with David Cully? Yeah, you're right, actually, Johnny, because I spoke to Jeff right before the Week 2 matchup against the Ravens. And one of the questions I asked him before Week 2 was, um, about Marquise Hollywood Brown and his development, because as a rookie, he set all sorts of records. He set touchdown yep. records for the for the Ravens franchise uh, and receiving touchdowns. And a, a lot of people expected a big jump for him from year one to year two. And and you know, I asked him how much of that. Uh, you know, where do you place Cully in in Hollywood Brown's development? And he and he said he's definitely a part of it because you know Cully obviously being a part of that wide receivers core, being the wide receivers coach. Um, you know, he had to coach him up as a rookie. And, and he and the thing that Jeff noted about Cully that was interesting was just, he said, you know, just watching his interactions with the players out on the practice field. And, and you know, once upon a time, we were, we were allowed out on the practice field every single day yeah, to watch yeah. coaches yeah. and players interact. So um, it seems like a long time ago. And, and you know, obviously, yeah. Cully's not been with the Ravens that long before he came here. But he said, you know, just watching him, he said, in training camp, they used to practice really early in the mornings. And he said, the one thing I noticed was Cully was like the first coach out there. He's like, you could hear him 
uh, before you could even see him because he was out there. He was talking to guys. He was coaching them up. Um, really interactive with the players and, and really involved, very hands-on in, in being a coach and being a teacher and, and talking to those guys. He said his work ethic is second to none. He said John Harbaugh had a lot of high praise for Cully when he even came in, that this guy could be a head coach somewhere. And, and he said there was a day when um, Harbaugh couldn't do a press availability. You know, you know after practice every day, yeah, the, the yeah. head coach comes to the podium. And he said it was a day that was um, something significant had happened, like Lamar Jackson hadn't practiced. So there were going to be a lot of questions from the media that day. And, you know, he, and Jeff said, he goes, I was actually thinking, wow, this, this poor guy, David Cully, is going to have to deal with a lot of questions today. It's, an unfortunate day for him to be taking these. And he said he really just, you know, he handled himself like a pro. He answered all the questions, could not have been better with the media, couldn't have been better at handling the situation and the questions. He said he just really carried himself um, like he could have been a head coach one day. So he said that's sort of the off-the-field stuff that he had noticed. You know, obviously the Ravens aren't known for passing the ball a ton. They're, they're a running team. But he said, you know, their receivers are, are asked to do a lot. They're asked to block. They're asked to do a lot of things that wide receivers typically aren't allowed to do. And, and that's where Cully had to come in and really teach those wide receivers that, hey, this is now part of your job function. These, these are now added to your job duties. You're going to be blocking. You may not be catching the ball a ton, but this is what you got to do to make this offense go. And that's sort of where Cully fit into that whole Raven scheme. But, you know, I, I wrote a story about um, that along with, he had told an interesting story about Hollywood Brown to Drew. Mm-hmm. And, and I sort of pieced it all together because he was telling Drew a story. Uh, and maybe Drew, you can jump in here about, you know, a game against the Browns where, 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 where he calls him Marquise Brown. He said he's not Hollywood to me because he hasn't, <laughs> he hasn't been in the league long enough. So he's he Marquise a very, Brown. Very big deal out of that when I, yeah, he's, <laughs> I, he's Marquise to me. So he said Marquise had had a couple of big drops in the game against the Browns. It was a big game. And, and he said they were drops for first downs, too. So clearly um, it had gotten in his head. He was sort of slumping on the sidelines, just not really into it. And he said, you know, our job is to tell these guys, you know, when something bad happens in a game, like you, this is not the time to deal with that. This yeah. is not the time for me to, ha- to be yelling at you about it or dealing with it. We, we will deal with it tomorrow. But guess what? There is still a chance for you to get back in this game and win the game. And you could be making a play that could – that could turn everything around. So you got to get your head back into this game right now and forget about all that. And he said, sure enough, later on um, in the game, Mar- uh, Marquise caught a touchdown from Lamar Jackson because Lamar had come in and out of the game. Yeah. Um, and that tied it up in regulation. The game eventually went into overtime. The Ravens still won. They still had another, they had another big play from another player um, at the end of the game. But I, I thought that was uh, his approach to coaching up guys on the sideline. And he, you know, obviously he's been through a lot. He reminds me a lot of, sort of Romeo's approach yeah. to players, you know, how, how to coach them up and, and to keep their head positive, deal with the negative after the fact, but in a game, like where their head needs to be, he was, he was very focused on that. I thought that was a really telling story that he told Drew. You know, I think to add on to all of this, you know, I've talked about how, you know, he's got his football acumen. DP just pointed out, you know, the coaching aspect as far as not, not, not getting down on young guys, not, yeah establishing dog houses, which we've seen around here. Yeah. I think another thing to remember is any adversity that Cully's going to encounter this year, next year, or really just kind of in the world, probably going to be rolling off his back. Because yeah. remember what this guy's been and where, where he's, what he's done. Absolutely. He was the first black quarterback at Vanderbilt mm-hmm. in the early 1970s. The world is a much, much different place than it is now. I mean, everyone knows that, but 
just rewind to those days. We, you were a baby, John. Uh, you weren't even born, I think, when he was. DP, you weren't. Yeah. Well, I wasn't. Born. I was not born. I was. I was, I was a wee lad. I was yeah, a wee lad at that point, John. DP, you yeah. were. You know, uh, it was a much different time. And so I think he probably giggles internally <laughs> at some of the problems that the problems that uh, that he might encounter that folks think are are big deals right now. And I think that's something to always remember because. He's been through so much. He's seen so much. So, and I know not a lot of people want to hear that right now, yeah. but I think it's it's something that it's uh, you, you you can't put a a, a number or a, a a price on that intestinal fortitude that he probably has. I think he he most certainly has. Yeah, yeah I think perspective. A, he's yeah. he's got a lot of perspective. Yeah, exactly. He's coach under a lot of different coaches. He's seen a lot of different players, and I think the more that we've been in this league doing our jobs I mean I think you realize that that experience like you know everyone's pushing towards younger and smarter and faster coaches that are you know um, creative and that's that has its place but there's also a place for a guy that's just seen a lot and been through a lot and I think there's a certain comfort in that especially when a team goes through adversity or goes through losses that you know hey we've I, I, I saw this back with this team or with this particular player um, this is how we dealt with it this is how we can deal with it moving on I mean, I think Cully certainly brings that with, with all the coaching experience that he brings. And I think there is some creativity there. Yep. You, you don't, it's harder to, to yeah, I'm not saying he doesn't have that right. Guy, when it's an assistant coach, but I think there is some creativity there. Like, just think, I know that that's a running offense that he's coming from with Baltimore and everyone's, or not everyone, but some people have banged on the fact that, oh, it's the worst passing offense in, in the NFL. Well, if it was that bad, how did they win 25 games combined the last two years? I mean, I, yeah. There's, there's circumstances that you've got to take into account to, to, every, to every situation. And I, I've, I've heard that, that argument. I'm like, look, come on. If it was that got, awful, would it have, wouldn't it have held them back? Would they have right. been able to win 25 games if it was that horrible right. passing offense? Yeah, and yeah, I love that story you tell about, about Marquise Brown. It's funny because I call him Marquise, too. I don't like calling him – I know it's weird. Um, <laughs> That was, on that, that was that. That was that. Everyone knows I love the nickname. Hollywood. That's why I said Hollywood. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, no, no. Yeah, I call him Marquise. Um, yeah, that is a that is a very. I don't want to say where it's old school, but that I don't. I, that's a that's a coach's thing too. That is an absolute coach's thing. That you know, oh, you'll earn your nickname or whatever the case might be. But I said uh, it just so the listeners, the the viewers, could you know, I don't know that everyone knows that Hollywood Brown's first name is Marquise. Brown. And vice versa, <laughs> yeah. you know, like. Yeah, I made sure no, everyone got covered. I like I like the point that you guys made about adversity because that's that's one of the the things that I I often I often point to with players that have been successful. And players and coaches and just everybody, but players and coaches, where have they faced adversity? And once you face adversity, how are you going to deal with it? And and one of the people for, I don't know why this name comes to mind, but one of the people I I thought about. A couple, uh, a couple of years ago, 2019, after 2019, was Sean McVay. Because Sean McVay had been this wunderkind who coaching, you know, everything came easy. He just went from one. He's a head coach in L.A. Uh, at the age of 32. And he's just everywhere. He's everything. Everything's going great. And they lose the Super Bowl. It really was kind of the first time that, for the first time, that his coaching acumen, if you will, had kind of taken a, a kick to the backside. So, all right, how are you going to react? In 2019, you're like, oh, yeah, look, see, adversity. 
not making that guy better. But then they turn around in 2020 and make some changes on the staff. He brings in this guy named Brandon Staley to be his defensive coordinator and make some changes. And the Rams are back in the playoffs and get to the divisional round. Uh, and if they can make one play in the snow, who knows what they do against the Green Bay Packers. But I thought that was a, was a great lesson for him in dealing with adversity and how he's bounced back. And you mentioned it. David Culley has dealt with it. And, you know, everybody seemingly uh, has, a, has a connection. And, and I have one with him. And, Drew, now you talked about this on In the Lab. And it's a guy by the name of George McIntyre, um, the late coach from Vanderbilt, who did not – was not the head coach at Vanderbilt when David was there, but he was an assistant coach who was on the staff while uh, David was in college. A couple of years after David had graduated, his first year out, he went to Austin Peay's wide receivers coach. Well, the next year, Coach Mack took over as the head coach at Vanderbilt. And over the next four years, three, well, he was there for seven. But over the next three years with David Culley, they built and built and built. That program was two and nine for the three years that both of them were gone came back and they built it to a point where by year four, even though year four, David Kelly had gone on to a different job. And I think he had gone to, to uh, Southwest Louisiana, University of Louisiana. I think that was the job he went to next. But either way, Vanderbilt went to a bowl game. And that was an amazing sequence for them to go to a bowl game. And I bring up George McIntyre because George McIntyre was the very first coaching mentor I had. When I came out of Brown, I went down to Episcopal. Coach was from Jacksonville and he had retired from coaching for a while he'd been out of coaching for a little bit and he got back into it and then came back home to Jacksonville and Episcopal was looking for a coach and they called him up and said look we'd like you to come coach and he did and he was only there two years and I was there for the second year and it was just amazing how he took me under his wing so I kind of have a feeling I know what it was like for David Cully to be taken under the wing of George McIntyre and if David Cully took those lessons and applied them the way that I've been able to then I know that David Culley is going to be one heck of a coach because we had one heck of a mentor in George McIntyre. So, you know, that's the thing to me. And people will say, well, what about the X's and O's? And, you know, what about the schemes? And uh, what about all this? Look, this game is about people. You get people to do things on a field together that they don't think they can do. Or in some cases, like you said with Marquise Brown, maybe he doesn't think he can do it that night, but you pull that out of them. And the good coaches are able to do that and do that consistently. Uh, and hopefully that's what we're going to have with David Culley. And of course, his coaching staff, which we should hopefully get the full list soon from Texans PR and from the Texans officially what that coaching staff is going to look like. And it sounds as if another name has been added to the list, and that's James Campen, who coached for a long time on the offensive line with the Green Bay Packers, tutored stars such as David Bakhtiari, Josh Sitton, Scott Wells. James Campen apparently headed to Houston to become the offensive line coach for your Houston Texans. We'll discuss all of that more once we have that full list from the Texans to discuss and disclose Fully, but right now, sources, and way too many of them, are saying, yes, it's James Campen, O-line coach for your Houston Texans. That's in the future. In the near future is Brian Mitchell, former NFL star, runner, receiver, returner. Spent a lot of time with David Culley. He talked about that time with Drew Doherty. We'll have that for you next on Texans All Access. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to this edition of Texans All Access on this wonderful Tuesday evening. 
So glad to be back on the air. I am your host, John Harris. Typically, Monday, Wednesday, Friday are my nights, but Mark got some stuff going on with the leadership, so I'm stepping in, as always. And that means I get to throw to a great interview with Drew Doherty and Brian Mitchell, longtime dual threat in the NFL, spent a lot of time with David Cully. Here's Drew with Brian Mitchell. This is a real treat. We get to talk with one of the greatest to ever do it in the NFL when it comes to returning kicks, returning punts, playing running back, playing receiver. I mean, heck, only Jerry Rice has more all-purpose yards all time than the great Brian Mitchell. Brian, first and foremost, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well, man. Doing well. Just trying to uh, stay above water and contemplate, am I going to come back for a couple games and make sure I can beat Jerry? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look like you're in good enough shape to do it. I've been looking at pictures on you on Twitter and everything, and you can catch him out at B Mitch Live, uh, NBCS. So go there on Twitter and check him out. But the reason you and I are chit-chatting today, we have a, uh, a guy in common that we want to talk about in David Cully. He coached you when you were in college. And when you were in college – you didn't return a kick or a punt once. You were a quarterback. But first and yeah. foremost, what's he mean to you? What is David Culley to you? Well, you know, it's like so many people you meet in your life, you know. And um, uh, my dad, my high school coach, and Coach Culley are those three men that really had a major impact on my life. Uh, my dad was a military guy. And then I, I get with Don Jones in, college, in high school. And then I get with David Culley. He recruited me when I was 16 years old. And he will probably tell you I was that guy where – it was all about Brian Mitchell. And I can remember him basically uh, constantly being on me about not just being a leader when I'm on the football field, but being a leader 24-7, going to class on time, not skipping classes, not falling asleep in meetings, which I would fall asleep in meetings a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, it's just those little things of harping on me. And, and then I got to a point in when I was 19 years old where I decided I was going to get into an argument with a grad assistant, you know, and – kind of told him some things that I probably shouldn't be saying. <laughs> and my dad basically took Coach Cully's side and basically said, uh, you don't play this game. You're going to hold the clipboard. And I think that day is the day that Brian Mitchell that you see today is who I became because they made me realize that it wasn't about, you know, just the football. It's about being a, a, a total man. And I think that's what I love so much about Coach Cully. Even when I got into the pros and he was at, you know, other teams in Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh, he still checked up on me. I was still, yes, sir, you know, looking at him as that person who you have so much respect for. Then I got to Philadelphia with him. It's the exact same thing. And, you know, at this point now, I'm 52 years old. And I still look at him and his wife, Carolyn, as like, that's my, my other parents. You know, my mom and dad have both passed away since. But I look at them like that because they never treated me like just a regular, you know, uh, student athlete. I was treated as special, you know, and I, I see them as the same way. I, mean, I can I can sense that vibe just in, in talking with him last Friday after his introductory press conference. Mm -hmm. Have you had a chance to to chit chat with him, text, uh, keep in touch with him yeah. since the announcement was made? Yeah, I talked with him. Uh, I talked to him actually right before he was coming down. Before it was finally uh, announced that he was going to get the job, and then I talked to him twice after that. He was on his way to go see his dad, who's uh, 94 years old, and I mean that's a blessing in itself, yeah. you know. But ultimately. He, he was happy, you know, and one thing I know about Coach, he, he always talks about putting in the work, and when your time comes, making sure you're going to be prepared for it, you know, and I think that's ultimate because he was in this NFL for 27 years before he really got the chance to move up to the other level, and now getting that chance and being ready, you know, uh, he, he was never a person who gave up or he didn't get frustrated, not that I saw, 
He was, you know, and when I look at a coach, I look for certain things. I look for a coach who's a great communicator. He's definitely that. I look for a coach who can basically get you to buy into what he's selling. He did that. You know, he got me to turn down Arkansas and all these other major schools and go to Louisiana Lafayette. So he was good at influencing people. But once you get around him as a football player, you know, I was a quarterback who had a very strong arm. I could run with the best of them. I was the Michael Vicks before Michael Vicks. And ultimately, he made me become a better passer, better touch on the ball, and also learn the whole game of football. People would have thought that I ran the option in high school. I never ran the option. So I get to college, and he taught me the option. But we ran it in a different way with two slots and two wide outs and a single back. So once I got to that point, I became a much better as an athlete, a much better quarterback, and a much better human being just being around a guy like Coach. You know, you've just touched on a lot of things that I want to hit on as well. But one of those is, yes, he's a great guy. You've told us many examples of why he's a great guy. And so many others around the NFL have chimed in and sounded off about that. And that's one of the things the Houston Texans are very excited about. But you know this better than anybody. You don't last four decades in the NFL if you're just a nice guy. you got to back it up with football knowledge and being able to be a good football coach. Back when you were a raging Cajun, how did he make you a better football player, just in addition to the touching on the, the, the pass touch and, and so on and so on? But what did you see as a football coach strictly X's and O's wise from him that made you better, made teams better? Well, putting us in a position and putting me in a position to have an advantage. You know, most of the NFL is not about necessarily I'm just better than you. It's that I have situations, and it's called situational football, where I'm going to put your defense at a disadvantage. I'm going to be the guy who's going to be going against your linebacker and he doesn't have a chance in hell to check me. You know, I think when you look at Coach uh, Andy Reid and we look at the innovation of Coach Reid's offense, David was there with him for like 18 of those whole years where he was basically given a lot of his input. And I think that's, the, that's kind of the negative thing about NFL where we get a coach and offensive coordinator, head coach and offensive coordinator, but they take all his advice from these other guys. He was the passing game coordinator up in Baltimore. He was also assistant head coach with Andy Reid. And a lot of his influence had a lot to do with the things that you see them running and still running today. And I think people didn't look at the fact that they look at the position he was coaching, not understanding that he had as much of impact, uh, input in that offense as anybody else. For me, when we went into football games, he knew exactly how to get me to watch film and make and, – and see, I wasn't a film watcher. You know, I was a guy where I thought I step on the field, I'm the best, I'm going to be the best. But he showed me how to begin to read on what guys were trying to do. And then on top of that, he took it a step farther. You know, so many people say, well, I watch film on my opponent. Do you watch film on yourself? He was the first guy to ever tell me to watch film on myself to see what type of tendencies I was giving off. And I never, ever thought, you know, why would I do that? Then I get to the NFL and Ernest Biner, a guy who, I, who, who also is a player who taught me a lot. He, the first thing he said, he said, do you ever watch film on yourself? And I'm like, yeah, I had a coach tell me about that. He said, well, that coach gave you the best advice you're ever going to have. So now when I start watching film, I had a tendency at running back. I would always look to the side of him about to run. Well, Ernest told me, say, I can tell you what you're doing now. He told me all these things. I started getting away from it. But Coach Cully had already taught me this in college, you know. But I, I take that and then I also take the fact that he, he made me realize early on that it wasn't just me playing the game anymore. This was something that was important. Like, it was my job before I started getting paid money for it. You know, and I think that's the problem where so many people think you're still playing this game, which my whole career, I have got younger guys saying that I, I was laughing. I was having, I say, you know what? Because in the off season, I dedicate myself to my craft so I can have fun during the season. 
and I learned a lot of that from Coach Cully by you don't go out there on the field and start learning when you have the opportunity to already know it when you get there. So I was a study I was a study nut, you know, we have a military father then having a coach that's dedicated as coach, you know, it made me that way. Yeah, it's really exciting. interesting you bring up the laughter part of that because you're right. I think a lot of times people discount that and maybe take that as a slight negative, but it sounds like to me that laughter was coming from a place of extreme confidence and extreme preparation. So why not have fun, right? And I think that's the ultimate thing, you know, if, if, if I had to tell people, like, what did he give me? You know, I was a, a, a quarterback, you know, that was, I was kind of shy if I didn't know you. But this man gave me so much confidence in my profession, my, as a football player, to where I gained confidence in every aspect of my life. You know, I never in a million years thought I would be doing radio and TV. That's what I've been doing <laughs> since 1992, 93, you know, while I played in the league because of the confidence that I got from how he made me understand things. And the more I learned and the more confidence I gained in myself, the more confidence I gained in everything else around me. And to, to be, be honest with you, not many of us ever get a chance to thank people for what they've done along the way. And right before my dad passed away, I was able to tell my dad, thank you for all of these certain things that he did. And, you know, I thanked him for putting me in a position to be successful. When I got to Philadelphia, you know, this is now 2000. I left college in 1990. So 20-something years later, you know, but, well, no, like 13, 14 years later it was. And I'm, I'm, I get a chance to be playing on the same uh, on the same football team with Coach, and I was able to tell him, you know, thank you for all the things, because he had never heard me tell him that story about when he told the coach, if you play him, I quit. That's how deep it was. Wow. You know, if you play him in this game, I quit, because I got into a, 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 a MF and fest with this coach, and they wouldn't let me play. And I think the lessons learned from that is the reason that you were able to see me put 23,000 yards in the NFL, because I realized it was about work, it was about making sure you hold your, your word to the other people. And I watch him do it over and over again. And you just begin, when you respect somebody, you begin to try to just imitate or emulate what they do. And I was like that with Coach. Some great stuff there from Brian Mitchell. Played with the Redskins, the Eagles. Play, played at ULL, which at the time I think was Southwest Louisiana. A legend in the NFL. Legend in that community down in Southwest Louisiana at Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, where David Culley cut his coaching teeth a lot of different places along the way, and now he is your Houston Texans head coach. All right, we got one segment left. It's time for the stock report. If you saw the stock report the other night, then God bless you. It's a new segment I'm doing on Texas 360. I figured, why not bring it to radio? Let's do the stock report going around the NFL with DP and Drew next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to our final segment of Texans All Access on this Tuesday evening. I'm so into always saying Wednesday. That'll be tomorrow night. We'll have draft night Wednesday. We'll have some fun stuff for you. Then Drew and I have something on In the Lab that is going to be phenomenal. DP and I, well, we did a little water break Wednesday that you're going to have to hear. We'll have that for you tomorrow because that's a draft night Wednesday. But tonight, I'm bringing in a segment that I did for Texans 360. Hopefully you've seen it because it's fantastic. And it is called Stock Report. It's awesome. And I kind of lose my mind during it, but it's all right. It's essentially you're going to buy, sell stocks as football players, et cetera. It's a, it's a little different concept. But we're going to do Stock Report a little different way with DP and Drew. Buy or sell what I 
am about to give to you. DP, you will go first on this one. Russell Wilson, a little noise over the weekend about not being completely enamored with the way that Seattle has done things. Maybe looking for a trade in Seattle. Don't know. DP, buy or sell Russell Wilson traded from Seattle prior to the 2021 season. You buy it or you sell it? Oh, I'm selling that. Selling means I disagree, correct? You disagree. You're selling that stuff. <laughs> I said that with a lot of confidence. Um, I, <laughs> I am selling that. I think um, they, they're going to – I don't know if, who, if they've named their new offensive coordinator or not. Yeah, Shane Waldron. Who I mean, he's a young okay. guy. We, you know, he's okay. been around the league. You know, who's to say? I don't think he's done too much in the league that that any of us really would know about. But yeah, they they right. named him as the the offense coordinator. Okay, so may, so I feel like there's a glimmer of hope with a new offensive coordinator. Maybe he didn't like the way the offense was being run under Schottenheimer in the past. So I feel like Wilson may they could they could bring him back into the fold and and sort of change up things in the offensive scheme that maybe they they hadn't done in the years past so i'm selling i I think russell wilson stays put in seattle drew doherty you buying or selling russell wilson traded from the seattle seahawks selling like magellan bro he's not going anywhere he is is the seattle seahawks i don't want to hear anything about steve largent i don't want to hear anything about anyone that he is the seattle seahawks perhaps no No. (laughs) or who or marshawn lynch i was like marshawn lynch no. no, no. Russell Wilson is the Russell Seattle Seahawks. He's not going anywhere. This is – I don't know what's going on, but he's staying. They're not going to let oh. him go. No, okay. No, no way, Jose. All right, Drew, I'm going to start with you on this one. Philadelphia Eagles now have a new head coach, Nick Sirianni. There's been a lot of buzz about what they will do at the quarterback position when Sirianni, who came from the Colts, was asked – who is going to be the quarterback? He said, oh, I'm not thinking about quarterback right now. I got a million other things. Well, he's going to have to think about it. Howie Roseman's going to have to think about it because they've been shopping Carson Wentz. It's buy or sell. Carson Wentz will be traded to the Indianapolis Colts. You buying or selling? Oh, man. See, you've given us these scenarios, and this is the, this is the only one I kind of hedge over. I kind of waffle over. Yeah. I mean, I could see it, and it makes sense. And I don't think he's going to be around Philadelphia, but is it straight to the Colts? I don't – I'm going to sell, even though I do think he's not going to be in Philadelphia. So I'm going to say no. It's not the Colts, even though there's lots of smoke. But I just – I don't see that, that happening. I don't, see, I don't see Carson Wentz going to Indianapolis. I will buy all the shares of that. All right, right DP. Give me all, all the shares. I, I, you know what? Because I was thinking Frank Reich, Carson Wentz. Yeah. That makes sense. The Sirianni Colts thing had not even occurred to me that that would make even more sense that he would be willing to do a deal with the Colts because he knows they know they all these people know each other between two teams, and that's really important for a trade to go down is trust yeah. and a good relationship between two staffs. Yeah. So. Yeah. I am buying that all day long. I, I can see Carson Wentz uh, in Indianapolis. He's unhappy in Philly. The Colts, uh, they didn't land Stafford. I thought Stafford could have uh, ended up in this division as well. So give me, give, me, give me all the shares of that. Interesting. Carson Wentz to the Colts face some choice mm-hmm, of the year. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. okay, that's a good one. I can see right. him going some other places. We'll yeah, yeah I was going to ask you that. Your hedge would be if he doesn't go to Indianapolis, but you do think he's moved. Mm. Bears? I don't know. 
I just – I think the field. I think the field. You're just taking the field. All right. Oh. Sunday night, we saw a performance for the ages by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense against the Kansas City Chiefs offense. Drew, are you buying or selling this statement I'm about to make? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers found the formula to stop Kansas City. Teams will follow it and keep Kansas City from exploding offensively as they have the last three years. Selling because Patrick Mahomes was not 100%. And as much as I loved that win that the Houston Texans had in Kansas City in the 2019 season in October – he was banged up that day. Yes. And the Texans, I think a lot of people are going to say the Texans had a formula that day because they kept him off the field. They rattled him. He wasn't at his, at his best. And like with everything that's happened since then, back in the time when it did happen and, you know, for the few months afterwards, it was, it felt so good. And you kind of thought, oh, well, that's what we did. That, that's what happened there. It sort of seems like the Texans caught a break that day. And, a lot of stuff, a lot of like a confluence of things worked in their favor. I don't know that that would happen uh, many times again. And boy, Tampa Bay, are you going to be able to have a defense with that sort of secondary and that sort of front working union the way it did? And how long is that defense going to actually stay together? How many guys are you know going to be back next year at this level? Yep. Um, I think it's a formula to beat the Chiefs but I think a lot of other things have to go into play there and a lot of other things have to fall right for you I don't think it's the formula I don't know that there is a the formula to beat the Chiefs and did the Chiefs just have a really bad day too I mean is that is that something to just kind of consider sometimes you have a bad day and it's at the wrong time yeah. I think that might be something to consider I, I think the Kansas City is going to be back and back again and again and again and again over the next decade I, I really yeah. I think I think you're going to see Mahomes back in this game. He's going to win some more, might lose some more too, but I don't think there's a way to beat the Chiefs. I think that was a way that the Chiefs yeah. could beat. So I'm yeah. selling. I, I felt like the Buccaneers, you, you mentioned it, and the one area you did mention I'll throw in there, and that's the linebackers. I think one of the keys in that game was Devin White tracking running backs all that over the field. Awesome. God. But also Levante David. Levante yeah. David went man-to-man against Travis Kelsey. And we talk about that all the time. Tell me, tell me, Everything I just said, it makes it sound like I'm discounting this Bucks win. No, they, I know. They, no, oh, no, no. That was awesome. They, I, they totally won that game. They were the best team. There's no doubt about that. They kept them out of the end zone. That was amazing. But yeah. I don't think that's the way to beat them. But, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like saying, the, here's, the, here's the formula to owning your dream home. <laughs> have, a, have a lot of money. Yeah. Have a lot of money. Like, yeah. you, that is a blueprint. But you know what? you got to have, like, these super talented linebackers, you got to have a pass rush that just doesn't quit all day long. You have to ha- make sure that you're playing the Chiefs on a day when, like, all their offensive linemen are injured and out of the game. And, I didn't even bring that up. And, yeah, and Patrick Mahomes has turf toe. And, oh, you've just signed, like, a Hall of Famer quarterback, Tom Brady, <laughs> with a Hall of Famer tight end, Rob Gronkowski. Uh, go, go ahead and, and duplicate that. Like, that's impossible to duplicate. Like, the, only the Bucks look the way the Bucks did. Like, no other team is going to match up that way on a day when Kansas City wasn't having its best day at all. They were, they were really under the gun with all these injuries that they had, especially on, on offense. Well, here's the question I should have asked. 
don't respond to this because I'm going to follow this up with something. Did the Bucks ruin the Chiefs' chances? And here's part of the reason why I say that going forward. Because the, the Chiefs project to be about $35 million over the cap for 2021. Are the Chiefs now going to have to say goodbye to some guys that they don't want to and some key guys that impact them going forward? Was that the chance to kind of get the back-to-back, make history, and the Bucks sort of ruined that, and now they've got to make some financial decisions they don't want to make. But that's a different one for down the road because, boy, that could get really dicey for the Chiefs. Last one, DP, we'll start with you. Dak Prescott will play for a team not named the Dallas Cowboys in 2021. Buy or sell? Dak Prescott playing mm-hmm. elsewhere in 2021 and beyond. What's, what's his contract? Is he a free agent? He's a free agent. Oh. You know, hmm, I – that's a tough one, Johnny. I, Coming off an injury, I will, too. I will mm, – I'm going to sell. Okay. And that's a very hesitant sell. Because <laughs> I could make an argument both ways. Like, I yeah. mean, I could see both, both of those – both entities just parting ways and moving on. But I feel like if I know anything, it's that when Jerry Jones has a favorite – he really has a favorite, and I think yeah. that he really likes Dak Prescott. They know what it's like to not have a quarterback, um, much like the Texans do, what it's like in those down years when you don't have a starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. And they, they saw it firsthand last year, so I think he's going to hold on to Dak Prescott as long as he can because they saw flashes of some great things when he was a rookie, and I think they're just waiting to sort of get back to that point. So I think they're going to cling on to Dak for a little bit longer. So I- I'm going to sell on that. True, you buying or selling? Selling. He doesn't want to go anywhere. The Cowboys don't want him going anywhere. They'll figure this money out. No chance he's gone. He loves being the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. Yeah. The Cowboys. I don't know if he loves it. Does he love it? Maybe he does. Absolutely. How could you he's not love being the American Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> Have you ever heard Clint Sterner talk about what it's like to be the quarterback of, of America's team? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah. say America's he, team. He I, loves I it. Yeah. America's other team. Yeah, yeah. They are America's team. America's team to love and America's team to hate. Everyone has an opinion on them. Charlie Waters was a great safety for them back in the 70s. Kind of like a borderline Hall of Fame player. And he said that's the beautiful thing about the Cowboys. Everyone loves them or everyone hates them. There's no one in the middle that's like, huh? And that's why they're America's team. <laughs> well, everybody loves you two. Hopefully they love me. Probably not, but they definitely love you two guys. Thank you so much for we being love. with me. Deep Beat City, Drew Doherty, you guys are the best. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans. Texans.